This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. Yes, this is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood movies. This week, we are taking a look back at Bill and Ted's excellent adventure to see if our nostalgia is warranted. Now, first thing off the bat, we only have two people here this week because one of us is out sick. So send all your healing words to Sarah. She will not be joining us. But we do have the person who chose this movie. Mark, are you prepared with a 60-second synopsis? (sighs) Yes, or thereabouts. (laughs) Thereabouts. So you're not just going to take a forfeit like I did last week. I'm going to try to get as close as I can. All right, let me start a timer for you. So I'll put, oh, not 60 minutes, one minute. I I think I could handle that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, but then you would you would closely resemble the runtime of the film. So you would have to get into like describing the outfit in every single scene. We could just quote the movie to each other and see how that goes. (laughs) See, I don't know the quotes in this one as Uh, good as you might, but. I'm putting 60 seconds on the (laughs) clock. Are you ready to go? Sure. All right. And in three, two, one, go. To ensure the survival of the band Wild Stallions, Rufus is sent to the past to help the band's founding members, Bill and Ted, pass their final history report. To introduce them to their time-traveling phone booth, Rufus brings the duo to 1805 Austria, where Napoleon is invading. When Napoleon accidentally gets blown into the time circuits and returns with them to modern-day San Dimas, the boys devise a plan to find other historical figures to help them pass the report. After leaving Napoleon with Ted's brother, Deacon, the boys travel to the Old West, Ancient Greece, and 15th century England, where they learn that Iron Maiden is not an excellent rock band and run for the hills. The booth is damaged during their escape and they have trouble returning to the present. Several attempts to get home lead them to extra credit opportunities in Austria, Germany, France, Mongolia, and the White House. Finally, they repair the booth and return home to learn that Deacon ditched Napoleon. The boys leave the report subjects at the mall to experience modern culture while they find Napoleon, but cultural differences lead to chaos and the historical figures get arrested. Bill and Ted find Napoleon and rescue the others just in time to totally rock their history report, ensuring their future as rock and roll legends. Well, you were very close, but I'm afraid the clock beat you this time. I had to take too many breaths. (laughs) I know. It's it's so sad that we as humans have to breathe. (sighs) Otherwise, you could have done it with flying colors so close all right let's let's go into long form so what did you see as an adult that you may have missed as a child what did you see that you missed as a child whoa throwing the question right back at me i uh classic interview style yes no i uh maybe have seen this a bit recently so (laughs) there wasn't a lot that i wasn't expecting but i also own the movie so i have seen it several times over the years so i probably didn't see this movie as a kid i think it was uh though gosh i'm 
remembering the time when my family used to order Pizza Hut as a child. And one of the promotions Pizza Hut had at one time is that if you ordered two larges at once, they would give you a free DVD. And I remember (laughs) the DVD, uh, which was the sequel to this movie, which Uh. is Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. So I think I might have seen Bogus Journey before Excellent Adventure, uh, and so it was a while until I decided, well, I should go back and see the original because the sequel is garbage. So it's true and funny story. I did not realize, but apparently I also own the sequel. So, ah. <laughs> but, I, you know, when we discussed this before, I was kind of thinking along the lines of, OK, well, let's throw in another terrible movie because we've done a couple good ones in a row. And I wanted to get one of those kind of along the kung fu kangaroos type of (laughs) style that we could kind of make fun of. But after watching it again, it's definitely not one of the best movies we've watched, but it is definitely not on the caliber of kangaroos either. Right. Like, I think it's better than I was was expecting. I, I not to get too much into my views right now, but I'm, I'm of the same mindset where I remembered this kind of being a stoner comedy where if you didn't smoke dope, you didn't really get who these characters <laughs> were uh, and how like the future intervened with their lives and basically wrote the report for them, which isn't the case either. Well, but I, uh, what I find interesting on this is um, another movie that we probably should review at some point but you don't run into the issues like Back to the Future where going back to the past suddenly changes everything in the present. So they could go back and steal these historical figures and show them a modern town and drop them back off in their own time and it doesn't change anything in history. So this gets into... um, Go ahead, I'll let you finish, but I want to get to my thing. What is interesting to me, they already have this established future that is based on the music and philosophy of the band Wild Stallions, yet that future has to send someone back to the past to save the band in order to preserve their present. (laughs) But if that's the case, then how do they already have that future established if they have to send someone back in order to create it? So this gets into the many theories of time travel, which... The two most used ones are represented by this film and Back to the Future, as you said. Where Back to the Future, there is an original timeline. You go back and change something, and now you have the altered timeline. Where in this movie, time travel is continuous. There is no original timeline. What will happen is what has always happened. So they, at the start of the movie, before they have a time travel device the history has already had them go into the past in that timeline before they encounter the box that has already happened and it needs to happen because it has already happened and so it's just it's a continuous timeline so so you're saying this is the lost theory whatever happened happened yes absolutely so i have a few fan theories around that uh in that these boys are not careful when they go into the past. 
a lot of versions of time travel in popular media explains why we've never heard of time travel before. And it's because people are taking people out of history just before they would have died or time travel is kept secret in the past. And so nobody was even aware that there was a time traveler there. That's not the case in this movie. So many people see these guys jump into a phone booth and disappear. So my fan theory here is that in the future, they are basically worshipped by the, the reigning government, which by our standards kind of looks like a cult. Uh, and I'm thinking that they became popular because they've traveled into the past. They talk to all of these very influential historical figures who have then gone on to tell the story of Bill and Ted in their own time. So over the centuries, there has been lore built up about these two wizards who could control the time stream named Bill and Ted, who in their future... That has come to fruition. This story's long folktale has become its own government where they are worshipped as gods. Is, is this your own theory or did you read this? I've never oh, this even is my theory. thought about that. So that's a really interesting one. I So in your theory then, yes. did Napoleon and the French create water slides? Ooh, interesting. I think he wanted to. Because in the end, skipping ahead way too far, <laughs> but that's fine. When Napoleon is giving the report, he describes a strategy based on water slides. Uh, and maybe that's what he tried at Waterloo and it failed so, in this universe. Well, I guess we should wait until we get to that part of the movie. And yeah, why don't, why don't we try to go in sequence? You described <laughs> the plot, which was the point. Uh, so... I do have a note on the start of this movie because we start in the future mm -hmm. where Rufus turns uh, an inverted golden ring pop uh, into <laughs> yeah. a, a, a time machine, which resembles a phone booth, which is a clear Doctor Who ripoff uh, and then travels <laughs> hey, back in time. Doctor Who is not in a phone booth. Uh, he is in a police box, which contains a phone. It, well, that's true, but it's not a phone booth. My question is, well, yeah. Based on our huge listener base here, right? How many people that listen to this show have ever heard of or used a phone booth? <laughs> oh, interesting. I think I, I see them most often in popular culture. Uh, I have used not the phone booth, but like the public phones. So yeah. no booth, but the the mechanism by which a phone booth <laughs> would use. I guess I have used that. I assume if people are listening to a retro based show about right. movies from the 80s and 90s that they would be yeah. interested in that culture and probably maybe grew up in that time, so they must have at least know what it is. I feel like some people who might be on a newer generation would have no idea what a phone booth even was. Right. Uh, but skipping ahead of the film a bit. Uh, so let's just get to the point. Bill and Ted need to pass history. They've been flunking up to this point. I don't know what this history class is because all we see the teacher teaching is asking people who was Joan of Arc or who was Napoleon. So I'm guessing this is a name the history dudes history class. I, well, I'm wondering if this was like their big report is like their cumulative final at the end of the year. So maybe this was, 
I've had some classes where we get like the last day instead of teaching anything, they just do, okay, now we're going to do a little quiz about everything that we've learned through the whole class and see if you guys remember what, what happened. Uh, so I like the teacher here. I think he is an incredibly patient teacher for both Bill and Ted and a bunch of other kids in this class who clearly don't give a crap about history. Because uh, we see these kids later on the film giving their history reports, and not a lot of them are good. Uh, but it establishes the major driving force of this film. Bill and Ted need to pass this history class because if they don't, Ted is getting, or yeah, Ted yes. is getting sent off to military school in Alaska, and they will never form the band. I think part of it was if they failed that class, they wouldn't graduate. And they have to graduate for some reason in order to, yeah, if they don't graduate, that's why he was getting sent to the military academy. And if he goes to military academy, obviously the band will never succeed because he will be gone. Right. So that kind of sets up the whole premise of the film of why they need to pass this class. And Mm -hmm. I guess that is also the point why they have time travel, because they have to do it about history. Right. Uh, So... Uh, Rufus goes back from the past and meets them when they are studying for this history final, which is the next day. So I want to point out something here because just before they get to the gas station where Rufus meets them is when we are introduced to their families. (laughs) And I found it interesting because... Both of these boys have terrible home lives. Yes. Which is probably what makes the band so very important to them. They want to form this band because it's the only good thing in their lives right now. They don't like being at home. They don't like going to school. The only thing they like is jamming out and breaking their amps, playing these musical instruments (laughs) poorly with their best friend. Uh, and so this is, I, I, it brings up an interesting psychological part of it too, because I, I mean, I kind of caught on to that right away this time too, which I hadn't really thought of any of the other times I watched it. But I mean, their their home lives are just ridiculous. Yeah, the one guy basically, I mean, Ted is about to get sent to military academy and his father basically runs the house like he's already in the military because every time Ted answers a question or something, he has to say, sir, mm-hmm. which I guess maybe some people do in their homes, but right. <laughs> but there so was the, that. And the then father... Bill's family. Oh God. Is they bring up the point that, that his new stepmom used to be in school with them. She was a senior when they were freshmen Mm-hmm. So, and then <laughs> what happens while they're trying to study the uh the mom brings them lemonade or something and then the dad walks in gives them money and sends them away and as they walk out he locks the bedroom door behind them <laughs> yeah it implies that he is going to have sex in his child's room with his wife who is at most three years older than his own son so that's awkward Uh, it's not giving a lot of breathing room. It also doesn't help that they establish that his new mom, Missy, was somebody that they found attractive at school, and Ted actually asked her to prom, uh, and then, lo and behold, now she is his mom, which is just navigating that weird family dynamic has to be terrible. 
And so, obviously, their parents have no idea what they're doing. I mean, uh, Ted's no. dad obviously knows he's failing something, but I think he said that he got a call from the school. Right. Bill's parents don't even care what's going on with him. Not at all. They just, no. they don't even know what's happening at school, what they're doing there together when they're trying to study for this thing. When when Bill starts to talk about how they're studying, they just he just ignores them and is looking at his wife. So, uh-huh. And it's it's weird. I don't want to get too much into it because it's I want to kind of defend it in that this is uh, an adult. She is at least 18. They got married. Married people have sex. There's no problem with that. It's just having a son that is a little younger than the wife you marry is possibly problematic. Well, and as an audience, it is awkward to see. And we don't, I guess, don't want to get into it too in depth. But if you watch the sequel, she has now divorced Bill's dad and married Ted's dad in the sequel. Oh, (laughs) so. Wow. But what this establishes, which also explains why these two are such good friends, is that they have both lost their mother. And they have probably both lost their mother around the same time, I would guess. It's not not a clear indication as to when their mothers have passed or are not in the picture anymore. But there's a gap left at home that the new mother isn't fulfilling and Ted doesn't even have a new mother to take that place. Uh, so Which is, having I, that loss in your life and sharing that with another person establishes this very tight bond between the two characters. Yes, <laughs> and whereas the band that they form basically becomes their family mm-hmm. because they need someone for, to be close to. Yeah, and for other reasons that come in later in the film. But they get into the time booth and they take off. They go to Napoleonic Austria uh, and get a stowaway. I liked this scene in that I didn't remember that Napoleon... Uh, doesn't choose to go with them because everybody else is totally fine with coming along for a crazy journey to to some extent (laughs) uh they at least get in the booth and then don't try to escape uh but napoleon gets blasted in it and manages to hold on to the time booth as it travels through the windows screensaver which is the time space (laughs) continuum I kind of liked how they did that, though. Like, uh, you don't see a lot of those time travel movies representing how they're getting from one time to another. Mm -hmm. And this one establishes that in the phone booth, the reason it's a phone booth is because you can dial a number and that will determine where you're going. And Mm -hmm. as you're going through these time circuits, you can see other ones branching off from where you are or just off in the distance. You see some more tunnels going by, which obviously signifies the other timelines you could go to or time periods you could go to yeah so another thing i wanted to get into is while they are with george carlin uh who is taking them to austria and then dropping a phone booth off at their house so they can go and travel into more times uh they ask him how is this possible and he says modern technology (laughs) implying that Anybody in the future can travel through time. If you have enough money, you can buy the equipment and just go wherever you want. Which, has this happened? Other time travel 
uh, things in popular media establish that this time machine is the only time machine. We are the only characters capable in this entire universe of doing what we are doing. Whereas Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure says, no, screw that. Anybody can do it. You don't see anybody else doing it. Yes, but given that it is a continuous timeline and everything that has happened will happen, it has happened. And I, I'm wondering if you mentioned the the upside down ring pop. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that's something specific to that government group that controls this technology, or maybe if you get this ring pop thing, you can just turn it into any shape you want, or if it's always a phone booth. Yeah, uh, that's that's interesting. Uh, I I assume you could turn it into any shape that you wanted. Uh, I think it's supposed to match the camouflage of the time you're going to, though it does not change after getting to the 80s. Though in that futuristic society, they seem very chill. I don't see them as bureaucrats who would manage the use of time travel. I see them as, like, really chill guys who just... Hey, we have this technology. You want to use the technology? You go ahead, man. Party <laughs> off. Uh, so um, I guess we kind of skipped the part while they were at the gas yeah. station. When Rufus first showed up there, they, um, th- they were talking to him. They were discussing amongst themselves whether they wanted to trust him. And a phone booth lands and themselves step out. Yes. And I so like this. They have a conversation with themselves from the future. which was Yes. I think that's brilliant because I have not seen that any place else in a time travel movie uh, because normally you can't meet yourself because it creates a time paradox where, you know, you two beings can't occupy the same space at once because it explodes the universe or something. But this was really neat in that, like, the reason that they decide to go with Rufus, because he's a stranger who is offering them everything, uh, is that they they show up and tell themselves to do it. And Yeah, that was Bill's point. Why would we lie to ourselves? <laughs> yeah. And how do we know it's ourselves? Why, let's pick a number. <laughs> what could be my favorite number? Mm. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is, so, this is weird in that I'm trying to figure out who these characters are based on people I would know in high school. And, like, I assumed that they were potheads. But marijuana is not mentioned anywhere in the movie. We never see them smoke. We also never see them do any other drugs. They try to get beer uh, at a bar at one point. But really... That's the only substance that we see them almost intake. So they're not potheads. They're just, I guess, wastoids. <laughs> People who have no concept of what their future is or how to get there. Slackers. <laughs> sure. That's another great term. Um, so where do we want to go from there? Well, we can go into uh, each of the people that they meet. So I, I want to cover Napoleon's storyline in one chunk. We don't have to right. do that here, but I'd like to do it at some point because he's my favorite character of this film. I, we can start with him because he's the first one that they meet. So 
Yeah, so he is a stowaway. He's not supposed to be there with them, but he actually gives them the idea that they can pull historical figures out of their own time, bring them into their time, and do a history report with them. Uh, Though, one thing I do want to say before we get into this, Rufus also establishes another interesting aspect of time travel where while you are traveling around in time, the, the time that you left is still progressing. So you cannot arrive at the time that you left because that time is still progressing. So if they spend two days time traveling and they try to come back, it'll be two days later. Mm-hmm. So they need to accomplish all they need to do in one massive all-nighter where they are going on a wild, crazy trip through history and getting there just in time to deliver this report. So while they're time traveling, everything is happening in real time. They have something on the order of like 10 hours, maybe let's say 15 hours to get this whole report together. But Napoleon gives them that the idea uh, and they know they need to get more figures. And so they decide, Hey, who can we trust? I know my little brother. My little brother seems to be able to manage human beings. <laughs> Your little brother, who's like 12 years old. Right. Let's make him babysit this fully grown man who doesn't speak a lick of English. Yeah. <laughs> so um, they leave to go do their time traveling, finding their other historical figures. Where The first place they go, is it the, the Ziggy Pig? <laughs> Uh, no, the first place they go is the bowling alley. So I is like it? Napoleon in this movie. Wait, no, you're right, because they leave him at the bowling alley. Yeah, the alley. bowling alley is where they ditched him. Anyway, but I like Napoleon in this movie because he is kind of the villain uh, in that he's a jerk. He is a jerk throughout the movie, and that does not change. But he is a wonderful jerk in that he's just kind of... Uh, we We don't see him as powerful, because he's represented as short, even though Napoleon was like 5'7", uh, and is known as short because there is some weird conversion error. Uh, but we don't see him as threatening. And so when he does little snide things to try to get like ahead of other people, it's almost seemed as like, oh, you rascal, as opposed to like a villain destroying people. <laughs> but yeah, I like him. Uh, so the Ziggy Pig is interesting to me because he orders this incredibly large sundae, which nobody could eat alone. Uh, And then he devours it with three children. And then the waiters just herald him as if he's eaten this thing all alone. I didn't understand that part at all. But what's interesting also, which I didn't get until, again, until this time I didn't really care because now I'm actually watching it and trying to take notes. But... He he see they set down this giant bowl of ice cream. Mm-hmm. He has to stick his finger in it and taste it to understand what it is. Yes. Because apparently seeing a bowl of ice cream doesn't tell <laughs> him, hey, it's ice cream. No, of course not. But this then, is some weird future food. The other like you were saying, he, he's sharing it with these three kids, but he always has to be the one in charge and always has to be the one who wins everything. So they get down to the end and one of the girls there is trying to scoop out a last spoonful and he's fighting her about getting this last little spoonful of ice cream out of the bottom of the bowl. And that's when all the waiters come out and sing him a song and give him a sticker or something that he can wear to say that he finished this giant bowl of ice cream 
Ziggy Piggy, Ziggy Piggy. Uh, yeah, some would say he might have a Napoleon complex. No. <laughs> I wonder where that comes from. Hmm. Uh, but then, like, I like that he sees these kids, even though he's trying to get the better of them. It's almost like these kids are his wards. He feels a connection to them and is very upset when they leave him. It's almost as if he has to constantly show people that he is the best and this is his audience to do that. I I guess what I found interesting in the first place was he's in a war zone, gets blown up and sucked through the time circuits, ends up in this strange time period in somebody's bed. Mm-hmm. He doesn't understand the language, but somehow he knows that these people are not his enemy, I guess, and start and follows around the children even That's though true. he has no idea who they are or how to communicate with them. It, it would be a much different movie if he decided to just stab people <laughs> or, like, blow them up with a cannon. So, um, from there... Is it, I think it's a, he does that and bowling is all is all they yeah, do together, uh, right? But also the water park we should get well, right. To. But I that, know that's he doesn't the end do of the that film. with the kids. Was my point. So they go bowling, and that's again where he's trying to get ahead. He's looking at all the scores, sees them in the hundreds, and he has like fifty. So he goes to the very last frame and just writes a one in front of his numbers. <laughs> yes, because then he has a hundred and fifty, and he wins. Yes, because he's the best at sports. I I liked. Uh, the actor's approach to bowling, which was he tried his best, but like he ends up following the ball in <laughs> air uh, and releasing it midair and then falling flat on the wood, which is where all the kids decide, no, we're not going to deal with this guy anymore. He is ridiculous. Yeah. So while he's on the ground swearing about his terrible bowling abilities, all the kids get up and leave. So when he turns around, they're all gone. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the manager of the place tosses him out because he can't pay. Right. Uh, and then I think it's later in the film, but he decides to go to a water park, which is called Waterloo. Which, OK, first of all, why would that be your first choice? Secondly, how would he even know that it exists or how to get there? I th- Well, you know, you're right, because... Plus, Bill and the Ted bowling alley was it. at night, so the place True. would have been closed until the next morning. So. There's a completely separate movie here, which is just what Napoleon is doing <laughs> when all this other stuff is going on. Uh, but he finds his way to a pool somehow. He doesn't have a swimsuit, obviously, and so he is wearing his underthings, uh, which is like a giant cloth I don't know what you call it. A, a jumpsuit? Jumper. I, yeah. jumper, sure. Uh, and that is what he was using to go down these slides. He would be kicked out immediately because he is tumbling, doing somersaults in these slides, going back and forth, going down backwards several times. I've worked at a water park. That is unacceptable. Well, and so he gets up to the... the- he has to wait in line for this, mm-hmm. gets up to the top of the ladder thing, and then he's looking in the slide. Right. He just sees a kid go down and disappear screaming into the slide, and he's like, what is this wizardry that I'm looking yeah. at? <laughs> like, he's staring at it confused, and the lifeguard just shoves him in. But I, why would you go there, wait in line to get all the way up there to decide you don't know if you want to do it or you, when you don't even know what it is? 
Because that's the line to conquer Waterloo, Mark. <sighs> if Napoleon wants to do one thing, it's conquer Waterloo. Uh, so what? another reason he'd be kicked out is when this his suit, his cloth jumper, if you will, gets wet, it is incredibly see-through. <laughs> we get a shot, like a nice shot of his ass at one point. <laughs> uh, and... I have to assume that the front of the suit is equally see-through, which is equally unacceptable for a family water park. Well, and we didn't even discuss the way he got into the water park. Oh, that's right. He got <clears> counted <throat> as a child. <laughs> the, the mom comes up to pay and says she has, what, 12 children or something? Right. And so, th so while she's paying at the booth, Napoleon just walks in with all the other kids and... <laughs> Uh, which she only gets away with it because she's comforting one of the children, which the, the guy at the ticket booth can't see. Oh, uh, but I loved whoever was playing Napoleon. I thought he was chewing the scenery of every scene that he was in. He was completely enjoyable because this is a scene where our stars of the movie are just not there. This could be a very boring part of the movie, but no, we have this wonderful actor who is doing all this physical comedy and keeping us entertained while Bill and Ted are doing their own thing in the time stream so that we can cut back to them when we need to. So... I think Napoleon is the best of the historical figures that they get. Who do you want to go to next? Well, Chronologically, I think Billy he's, the Kid. he might be the one that you see the most of as well. Yeah. Like the other ones, you see them hanging out in the background while Bill and Ted are doing stuff, traveling mm -hmm. in time, but you don't really see them doing much. I would argue that maybe Billy the Kid has more that, screen yeah, time. Yeah, he's the only other one. And that's what I was going to go to next because he's the next one that they pick up. Let's talk about him. This is the part I think you were referring to when you said they went to the bar. Yes. So they end up in the Old West and they mention Disneyland and Frontierland while they're there. <laughs> yes, which I'm sure you enjoyed. Oh, well, you know, who doesn't? <laughs> but... <laughs> um. They, you know, they're wandering through the town. I don't, they, I think they mentioned something, man, I'm thirsty or something. And so they head right. to the saloon and he just walks up and slams his hand on the counter. Two beers, please. And he just, the guy just hands it to them and smiles, which was kind of a weird smile actually. But the, <laughs> they're like, oh, he didn't even card us. We have to remember this place. So I guess <laughs> the implication is they're going to keep on time traveling after they finish their report. Which they do uh, for we'll we'll get into the other interesting time travel things they do in this film. But I think the look that the bartender gave them was supposed to imply you're clearly out of town. You don't know what goes on at this bar. You're going to lose all of your money <laughs> and... uh, because, well, at this point, all they know is they want to go into history and bring people back with them. This is before they've gotten to the point where they decide we should get historical figures, the people we've heard about in our history class, because they were they were looking around for Joe Schmo, mm -hmm. and if Billy the Kid doesn't show up at this point, they're just taking this rando from history back home with them. Yep. But this is the point where Billy the Kid walks in and says he needs volunteers, and once... Now I don't understand his plan here. I, yeah. <laughs> he asks for two men to play poker with. The idea being that he is going to 
do some fancy dealing and one of the three people he has at the table is going to win every hand. And then he is going to get all the money because Bill and Ted will get no money out of this. But this plan falls through on the first hand. <laughs> they Which play is one hand of poker and he gets dealt three aces. I think Ted does. Well, not Bill. The best Bill part does. was Whatever. Ted was apparently laughing at the cards he was getting. Bill leans over to him and says, hey, you have to have a poker face like me. And then uh-huh. the very next card he gets, whoa, look at these aces. I <laughs> and then everybody at the table is like, are you cheating? And Yeah, exactly. Like, this is the first time it has happened. We haven't established a pattern of his team winning. This is the first hand. Sometimes you get a good hand on the first hand. But, like, uh, I, I just don't understand... What Billy the Kid's plan was, if his the people he's trying to steal money from are going to notice he's cheating that early in the game. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, this leads to, of course, the classic Old West bar fight. Yeah. Breaking chairs, great. saloon girls kicking people for some reason. Yeah, their heads flying through walls and then seeing somewhat undressed girls on the other side. Because this place is also a whorehouse? Is that what that was meant to imply? I I mean, I guess. It's the Old West. It could be both. Sure. (laughs) Uh, But this is where, after they escape and they get into this fight scene, this is where they first show a whole gang of people that they are in a time travel machine. (laughs) Because they all run into this box And then it just, it falls through the plane of existence, leaving lightning in its wake. And, like, at least seven people are there to see it with their own eyes. It's not like they ran around a corner and disappeared. They ran into what was clearly visible, and then it disappeared through the ground. In front of everyone. And what's even more surprising, Billy the Kid follows them into this tiny little box... Mm-hmm. and says, hey, you just saved my life. Look out, all these people are coming, and then they just disappear, and he doesn't... It Nothing phases him, apparently. No. Billy the Kid is fine with time travel. Uh, apparently, he's been thinking about it forever. Uh, but, like, it also establishes this neat dynamic between them where they've saved Billy the Kid's life, and so Billy the Kid is inherently on their side. Mm-hmm. Uh, which it comes in use later, but the next person they pick up is Socrates, which <laughs> I liked what the guy was doing, even though this character doesn't offer much to the film. His name is under Socrates in their history book. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he is there philosophizing to people. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I guess I appreciate this film for not giving some bullshit universal translator thing where Socrates did not speak English. And so in this world, he does not speak anything. He um, communicates all through pantomime, uh, which they can pick up and are never confused about. Uh, And I, I guess, yeah, what I'm getting at is I like that they didn't have the guy just speak English because that would be more convenient. Yeah. And I mean, he did, 
I don't know Greek. So I don't either. I don't know if he was saying anything real or if it was just gibberish, but he was saying all we are is dust in the wind. Or, or like or, as the sands yes. in the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. So that was when when they tried to philosophize back to him, his translation right. of it was days of our lives. I mean, nothing that they are doing would enamor me to them. Like, they're meeting Socrates, who was heralded at his time as, like, one of the wisest men. And so they show up, they literally play with sand, and then he assumes that they are geniuses. Or at least that we should follow them. Right. So he gets in the booth with them as well. Right. So... My idea here is that these dullards are doing nothing, and yet it is working out because fate has divined that Socrates has to get to the future. So everything that has happened needs to happen and will happen, even if these two dullards fail at every single possible time. And it just, he comes with them because he needs to come with them. Sure. (laughs) Fate, I'll just go along with your fan theory because I, I have know. nothing better. It yeah, just happens. Fair. It's kind of the way the movie goes. Everybody which, falls in love with Bill and Ted for no reason. Yeah, which, I mean, if you're not enamored by them, this may not be the film for you. <laughs> but anyway, let's let's keep going through so the people that from they From there, they go to 15th century England where they meet a peasant, first of all, and say, is there any personages of historical (laughs) significance and somehow the peasant knows what they're talking about and points at a giant castle that's 20 feet away so was this henry the eighth because it was it was king henry that they were going to see yeah that's what they said i don't did they say which henry it was no they didn't well it's henry somebody henry one of them uh, but more importantly here, they meet the love of their lives at first sight. <laughs> these princesses who may have names, but are never really given a lot of screen time to establish those names. So I don't remember them. Well, and the reason that they stay there to go after them is because they are historical babes. So they might as well be mm. part of our history report. Absolutely. And for some reason, when in, in trying to figure out how to meet the women, apparently Ted is the ladies' man, according to Bill. And in order to meet these women, they decide the best way is to hide in suits of armor that are already oh, inside right. the castle. Yeah, so we don't see them break into the castle. We see that they've managed to get into full suits of armor without anybody noticing, and yet they're going to stand in place in the armory when the guards come by, so that Scooby-Doo-like, they can just walk in armor and not be noticed. Well, and you mentioned that because you know how long, how much work it takes to get into a suit of armor. Yeah, which which comes up later (laughs) because they fight. Uh, Ted falls down the stairs. Bill tries to follow. Uh, And when he sees the suit of armor on the ground, a guard stabs it and he mourns the loss of his friend. We later find out from Ted's own admission that when the suit of armor hit the ground, he fell out of it. Totally plausible. 
So, this has <laughs> another one of my many fan theories about this film. That's just part I of think, fate. No. <laughs> I think this is one of possibly a many cases where Rufus has intervened. I think Rufus is working behind the scenes to save their lives countless times. <laughs> I think this is one case where he fell down the stairs, got knocked out, Rufus came, got him out of the suit of armor, took him to a time uh, so that he could go to a place and wake up so that when he woke up, he could get back to, to Bill uh, and not notice that Rufus had done anything. I think there are several cases where they've almost died, but Rufus has intervened at the final second to save their lives and keep this thing going. That may come up later. <clears throat> yeah. This is a thing that I had not thought of, but it, it the way that they break people out of prison mm -hmm. is interesting. So so that could fit in with that theory. Yeah. So what we see early on with Rufus is Rufus leaves in a time machine. And then an empty time machine comes up right behind him, and that's the one that Bill and Ted take. So Rufus can visit any time during the course of this film. I think he is from the future and has a list of places he has to be in order for this plan to work. So what you're saying is we need a separate movie just showing Rufus's timeline throughout this whole thing. Yes, absolutely. And it would be from saving their lives in the in this time to maybe then going on to save their lives when they were fighting cowboys well, and then and, maybe and, getting them out of jail well uh, well and to that point the princesses we find out are engaged to ugly men ugly, ugly men. men is that the only way they describe them two horrible old men something that they're engaged to these old guys that they don't want to marry and of course, Bill and Ted are just like, knowing nothing about these men or how this society works, it's just like, ooh, gross, don't be with those old dudes, be with us. <laughs> and this is the point where they run into the king, who t tells his guards to put them in the Iron Maiden, to which so, they say, excellent. Yeah, doodling. <laughs> uh, but I really like this king, because he's the only character in this film who can see through their bullshit. He's the only person who's just like, I don't care who you are. You're in my time. You're going to die. Uh, but they almost get hanged. No. Uh, no? When did they get hanged? <laughs> this is where the executioners oh, have the axes. Executioners. You're right. They're on a platform. I assume they were had ropes. You're wrong. I, sorry, you're wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. <laughs> Uh, but yes, this is a medieval execution whereby you would get your head chopped off by an executioner. Although somehow, mm -hmm. Billy the Kid and Socrates have managed to get the executioner's robes and stand there acting as if they are the executioners. So at the last second, instead of chopping mm -hmm. off their heads, they are able to wield these giant axes and chop the ropes without hurting Bill and Ted at all. And then yeah. they run away on a cart with their phone booth. Right. It's almost as if a mysterious third party told these two men where to be <laughs> and what to do to save Bill and Ted. Oh, you and your fan theories. I know. Uh, but yes, yeah, so they... 
their phone booth is on a cart uh, which is attached to a horse, and so they are escaping the castle, but they disappear just as another horde of men are chasing after them, meaning all of these knights also see them disappear into the time stream. I, so here's what I have a question for you. Yeah. What What is that weapon that he's using? I wanted to call it a mace, but it's not right. It's like a mace on a oh, chain. A morning star? Is that it? That, that's the I one? I think that's so what it is. So he's the knight that catches up to them is swinging this thing around his head, about to hit them, and just as the booth disappears, he swings it and hits the antenna, which is what damages it so that they can't actually get to where they're trying to go, while Carl looks up this thing on the Google. Yup. Uh, <laughs> oh no, a morning star is like, well, all right, we're not going to go into it. The pictures I'm seeing here, a morning star looks like a mace, but also, oh, a flail. You're thinking yes, of a flail. Yes, that's the word I was thinking, but I couldn't, right. I wasn't sure if it was the right one. So it's a stick with a chain and a big ball, a spiky ball attached to the end of the chain that you have to swing right. around. There you go. So, so anyway, the knight hits their antenna as they're disappearing, and suddenly they notice the phone booth is acting strange as they're going through the time circuits. Yes, which is where they go to the future uh and they see this giant cult-like society mm -hmm. that they are gods to and uh, this is a another this is a case in movies that comes up a lot they're establishing that they're the future because they have a black man in charge <laughs> this is a, this is very common in a lot of properties to immediately establish that we're in a time that has never happened let's just put a black man in charge clearly establishes future, which now we have to think of another one, which I believe if we want to establish the future in 2018, we probably go to a future where a woman was in charge, a woman of color or some female would clearly establish we're in the future and not the past. Mm -hmm. Carl's theories on time travel movies. Oh, Mark, it happens a lot. I know. <laughs> So when you start making movies, we'll all watch for the woman in charge. Well, yeah, though that only hold up for about a couple of years, I'm imagining. <laughs> so um, while they're here, they, they give their most important line that everyone in the future is aware of and is reacts positively when they say it. Which is? Which is, uh, well... I think the who is I don't know what they are the government the council whoever they are just kind of gesture towards them like they're waiting for them to say something and what is, I, he says oh quote some poetry or something yeah in both this case and when they are meeting the princesses it would have been a great time for them to break out I don't know a single lyric that they have heard in the music that they enjoy but in both cases they forget every song they've ever listened to and they come up with something off the top of their domes they did quote a song to socrates but that was a while ago yes um but now they say be excellent to each other and everybody goes Ooh. Ooh. and so ted walks up and says uh, party on dudes and they all start clapping yes now where I think this fits in is this is definitely the future where they already have the band and they're being worshipped. But I think this happens before Rufus leaves in the beginning of the film. The reason being, when Rufus leaves, he uses these two lines as 
what is accepted in society as a way to say goodbye to each other. So it establishes how clearly these two people are worshipped in that the littlest thing that they said has now become the cultural way to say goodbye. They are that pervasive in language where anything they say becomes something that gets quoted a million times a day. Uh, again, if you go on to the sequel, this is actually mm-hmm. like there's a big statue of them at a university, which I think is named after them. I don't remember. Probably. But on, on the statue, that those lines are even carved into it. So mm-hmm. apparently this saying is very important to culture of that time. Mm-hmm. And it's a dumb line that they can, <laughs> these two dullards came up with in two seconds. And yet this society worships them. Anywho, uh, so while they are jumping around in time, their time machine is kind of broken in that I think the antenna is looking busted, but it still takes them to very yeah. influential periods in time. This is where we pick up uh, Freud from Vienna, Austria. We pick up Beethoven from Kassel, Germany. We pick up Joan of Arc from Orleans, France. We pick up Genghis Khan from Mongolia and Lincoln from the White House. Which, so Freud, I don't remember what they said to him, but they just kind of show up and talk him into the booth, I think. Mm -hmm. Beethoven, he's in the middle of a concert and they just kind of walk out pick up the bench that he's sitting on and carry it away. So he was not really volunteering to go with them. Right. Though all of these, uh, I'm surprised that all of these very influential historical figures, especially Lincoln, have no sort of security to prevent them being abducted in any way. I mean, the booth just showed up in the Oval Office, so I guess the security was... Maybe maybe Genghis Khan, then, who is surrounded by his women and warriors who maybe don't want to see their leader get captured. Maybe they were just so surprised by the appearance of this thing. (laughs) So what I thought was interesting, though, when they show up in France for Joan of Arc, Mm -hmm. she is kneeling on the ground, praying to a cross on the wall with her eyes closed, and then there's a bunch of noise and light flashing, and she looks up, and there they are standing in front of her, and Ted reaches out his hand as, you know, to say, come with us, which... Yes. She makes the most sense I think in she why took it she would as, follow oh, these it's a two sign men. from God or something, right. and, and went with them because uh, she was praying at the time that it happened. So that could be how she got voluntarily brought along. <laughs> <laughs> Though Genghis Khan, right. they just tempted him with a Twinkie, and apparently that was <laughs> enough. But yes, he wants to eat this new exciting food that would survive a nuclear bomb, whatever that is. <laughs> uh, though this is where it gets a little unrealistic for me because the way Doctor Who gets around this is it's a box, but it's larger on the inside, whereas this is just a phone booth, it has the proportions and the size of what you imagine a phone booth to be. Though, they are fitting in, I believe, upwards of nine human beings in this small, compact space. Which, when they're going through the time stream, it kind of makes sense, because the phone booth is on its side, and they're standing in it like it's a (laughs) canoe. But if they're... If they're just using it as a phone booth is used, I don't think you can fit nine people. You you wouldn't be able to you, open you the door. You never tried to do that in college and just cram a bunch of people in a phone booth? 
No, Mark, because you're the oldest man alive. No. People haven't done that for 30 years. <laughs> I never tried it either, but I have heard of it. <laughs> yes, uh, people did it in the 1950s. I'm sure that's something they tried to emulate on happy days. Maybe? But no, no, I've not done it in modern time. So, um, let's see. So they picked up all these people. They stopped at the White House, and they get Abraham. Do, how did they get him again? They just said, hey, come with I us. Think they, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think they called to him. He went to them. They grabbed him and left. That's right. That is all so of the nuance we are given there. Right. Um, but anyway, they finally end up in San Dimas. However... It's, what was it, 10,000 B.C. or something? <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Oh, I have it here. Hold on. It was 1 million B.C. 1 million B.C. So um, now they're trying, they figured out finally what was wrong with the booth because they found the broken antenna. Mm-hmm. So their solution to this is to have everyone chew gum and then they use tin cans that they found yeah. somewhere. Yeah, no, uh, so Ted had Yogurt packed them. packets or something. Right. So they Ted had packed them. They all had a little snack, and so they had all of these tin can garbage. Um, but this is another case where they are spied on from the people of that time, mm -hmm. a.k.a. Caveman, <laughs> uh, which I don't know if they go into this, but when the time booth disappears it leaves kind of like lightning and it's it's wake it's possible this started a fire and introduced fire as a concept to man and also uh, that the cavemen were chewing bubble gum when they left right <laughs> yeah so again this is how the film gets away with it because how could you fix futuristic technology with tin cans and abc gum oh right Fate needs them in the future. They've got to make it. Uh, so, and, and then at that point, they make it back to kind of modern day San Dimas. But this is the point where they went back mm -hmm. to last night, which is yes. how they met themselves in the gas station parking lot. Mm-hmm. And the scene skips here a little bit where I think it would have been much more interesting to see this scene twice. Now, we don't learn any new information, but... It it's something that's happened to the characters that we're watching. Whereas we go through it the second time, we're asked to remember everything that happened the first time, uh, where it skips to the end of their conversation, and then they go and talk with Rufus. See, I, I would disagree. I kind of like that it skipped over that because it's something that they've already covered, and now sure. you can just kind of get past that and be like, okay, we remember that this thing happened, now so, let's continue the story to the part that we haven't seen, which is where they talk to Rufus. So certainly it's more interesting as a viewer, I will grant you that, and you need to, anything that is redundant ends up on the cutting room floor, I get that. But this would be a rare case in a movie where it would completely to make sense to reuse footage because the characters are experiencing this moment twice in the film, once in the past and once in the future. I think it's implied that they did experience it twice, though. I know, but I think seeing it would be a better artistic choice. Maybe not the more entertaining choice, but the more artistic one. Mm. All right. So let's see. Um, we get... All of the historical figures doing chores around the house so that Ted's, no, Bill's mom uh, can take them to the mall. 
because they don't then, have a car, but she's three years older, so she can still drive. Yeah, places. so I mean, she's she got her permit a little while ago. <laughs> uh, let's see. Though I don't understand what they're doing here, because at this point they're looking for Napoleon, who they left with a little brother, and now they're back in San Dimas. They've got the historical figures. They're going to go to the mall to drop off the historical figures, and then they go to a baseball field. For some reason, I think because that's where his brother right. is. They didn't know that they were still. They thought that Napoleon was with Ted's brother still, right? Because he was supposed to be babysitting. So I think they just knew that that's where he was. Was at this baseball game or practice or whatever, and Correct. they said, "Well, Napoleon must be there because he's supposed to be babysitting." So my point is, why go to the mall if you need to go to the baseball field? Yeah, I so, guess they just went out of order. Yeah, so it just, it seems weird to me that you would leave all of these people at the mall without any supervision, where you clearly knew that Napoleon needed supervision. It just seems inconsistent for these characters. But this mall scene is great. It, it's actually it's the wonderful. Best part of the show. <laughs> I agree with you. Uh, it's So it's very fortuitous that they were given no... Uh, supervision whatsoever because you see about six or seven different shots of future or past people trying to navigate future society in a mall where mall culture was at its height and i think this is a phenomenal scene i and you get um freud and socrates and billy the kid Mm -hmm. together trying to hit on women which does not go well well the brilliance here is that billy the kid and socrates are kind of eyeing these women these women are already not into it but they just want to kind of see what happens and so they these women are at least not rejecting them but are kind of interested in why these weird guys are wearing a toga and a (laughs) uh a cowboy outfit at a mall and so they approach they they do their spiel to try to get these women. And then Freud shows up with a corn dog, which is great imagery yeah. getting given what Freud is known for. Yes. Well, and then it's great because when they start laughing, the girls start laughing and he says, oh, I think you're suffering from hysteria. <laughs> oh, no. <clears throat> um, but then it's great because they call him a geek, which socrates laughs at and repeats at him even though he has no idea what that means and yeah, neither do they because then freud says what is a geek <laughs> <laughs> what is geek i don't understand um, uh, that's the wrong accent for him uh, i don't but remember the exact order of this but at one it point, doesn't matter Genghis it's a Khan montage ends up in a sports store and you see him looking at his club in one hand and then he finds an aluminum baseball bat so he picks it up and tries to bite it, and he goes like, ooh, what's this? And then he sees, you know, a um, mannequin standing there with mm-hmm. some sporting outfit on. He turns around, is like, oh, it's a practice dummy, and whacks its head off with the baseball bat. So I disagree with this to an extent, because, yes, I agree that Genghis Khan would definitely go to a sports store. If there's any store in the mall that would interest him, this would be the one. He doesn't know anything about metallurgy, So he doesn't know that aluminum is strong. I think he would pick up an aluminum bat, feel the weight of it, and think, well, this weapon is useless. It is too light, therefore it is not dense enough to use as a club. I think he would favor the wooden bat over the aluminum one. Did you see any wooden bats? 
I didn't, but there's <laughs> other so there's other things in sports that would be better for him than an aluminum bat. For instance, like a hockey stick yeah. or a or uh, a croquet mallet. I guess I thought that was the point of him biting it was then suddenly he realizes, hey, this is heavy duty and I can beat stuff up with this. Yes, because I cannot bite through it. Therefore, it is a strong, stronger weapon than my wooden club, which apparently I can bite through. I guess. I don't know. But then what's great is I think it cuts to somebody else. I think this is Beethoven at this time, maybe, yes. who is he found a, an organ store or piano, some kind of music store. And he's yeah. playing on an organ where the sales guy shows him that it has the demo feature, which plays a song on its own, which... Beethoven reacts to and starts laughing, but earlier in the show, when Bill and Ted land at his concert, yes. he can't hear them landing because Beethoven is deaf. So how yes. does he hear the demo okay. music? I thought I was going mad because I couldn't remember if Beethoven was deaf or whether that was Mozart or some other <laughs> piano genius. I thought Beethoven was deaf. You're right. That makes zero sense whatsoever. So I was confused about that, but it was still a kind of a nice little gag, I guess, to say, hey, Though Beethoven's impressed may... by the futuristic music. Though I want to say Beethoven wasn't born deaf. I Maybe he it yeah, progressed as he got older. Maybe they got a young Beethoven who hadn't lost <laughs> all of his hearing yet. Yet he still didn't hear the phone booth land, so... Sure. <laughs> well, he was also playing music at the time, Mark. It's possible that his training made him just so focused he didn't notice. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I'm coming up with yet another fan theory to explain this dumb movie. Well, and then the other part of the montage is where Joan of Arc sees... Yes. What was it? Calisthenics? Yes. Random or workout like, in the middle of the mall where some lady... I think I have a note that it's jazzercise, yeah, but yeah. like that kind of thing. That kind of thing, which was very popular at the time, but I, it's weird that they were just doing it in the middle of the mall. Like it wasn't inside anywhere. It was just like in the open area in the mm -hmm. giant hallway in the middle of the mall. But so she runs up to that and starts being interested. We cut back to Genghis Khan in the sports store where he mm -hmm. has found football shoulder pads and a helmet and somehow now knows how to ride a skateboard. <laughs> so. Yeah. What's well, just like a tiny horse. You never forget. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think this scene is great. The one note I have here is this mall has over hired on security <laughs> because they have that for a mall this size, they would have, I think, upwards of 10 to 15 security guards. I think we see upwards of like 40 to 50. <laughs> I just think it's great because then so I think Genghis Khan is really the one that starts causing problems because right. he's beating things up in there. And the guy calls the security calls, calls for backup. This is when you see Genghis Khan with all of his armor on and uh -huh. he starts he skateboard right towards the cop jumps off a trampoline over the cop's head and lands on the skateboard again and keeps nice. going yeah and during this uh when he goes by you see billy the kid and run by and shoot a gun off in the mall yeah this is this is merely this is immediately where i jumped off because billy the kid would get them all shot <laughs> If you're the person who opens fire in a mall, you will be shot in America. Did they have 
guns for mall security guards in the 80s? I don't know. I'm sure. Th- I don't know if they had stun guns. They had to have something. Something. Instead, the security guards fall on the floor and cover their heads. And then so <laughs> Socrates runs by with a toy gun. Yeehaw! And shoots it. But <laughs> then, uh, let's see what happened. Something. Joan of Arc is then leading the jazzercise and shoves right. the leader out of the way. And so the cop, the police... And Beethoven has disregarded the owner of the store and is now playing like eight keyboards simultaneously, Um, which the uh, the crowd loves. But the guy wants this this man to stop playing his piano without buying anything. Oh, and we skipped over Abraham Lincoln, who found one of those old time photo booths where you go dress up to take a picture to look like an old timey celebrity. And the guy wanted his hat and stupid beard back. (laughs) (laughs) And... Lincoln says, well, this is my hat and my beard, and the guy keeps trying to take it, so he runs away, and they think right. that he's stealing, so that's how he gets in trouble. Right, and this scene ends with all of these historical figures getting arrested and each individually doing a mugshot, which is also a great image from this film. But let's uh, pick things up. We are running short on time, but luckily we don't have much movie to cover left. This is where we get into these really interesting uh, concepts with time travel because Bill and Ted have to save these historical figures from lockup where Ted's dad is working. The interesting thing is that they recognize in real time that they need the keys to free these guys. They know that Ted's dad lost his keys several days ago, but they know that right now they don't have time to go back in time because of the established, you know, if you leave a time, it still progresses when you are gone. So they decide, quite genius on the uh, the screenwriter's decision here, that they can just do it after the report. They got all the time after the report, and so they decide, we will decide to do that, we will get the keys, and we will leave them, I guess, here. And the keys are there. So they've they've invented this concept where... Anything you need will appear because you know you need it now and you will provide it for yourself in the future. So my question here is if they wait until after the report, right. they won't have their historical figures. So they would have failed the report the first time. That's and what Ted I'm would have gone off to military school where he would not have been around to steal the keys and come back to drop them off. Correct. I'm so saying, you're saying that Rufus did this? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm saying there is there is no original timeline. There is no timeline where they did not succeed at their report because they have always succeeded at their report. Having the keys here necessitates that they succeeded at the report. So they have the keys because they've already succeeded. <laughs> so it's a really weird time concept to wrap your head around, but everything that happens in this film has happened will happen and can't not happen so this is the point where they go into the police station and they're trying to sneak through without anybody seeing them which i i mean i guess they don't want the people to know that they're there especially ted's dad so in order to lead ted's dad away to a certain point um so that they can sneak by they decide, oh, after our report, we should leave a tape recorder in here and and record our voices saying something to lure him away. Right. So 
I don't understand this because I wasn't around at this time. At least I might have been alive, but I don't remember the technology of the age. I don't ever remember having a tape recorder that had a timer on it where you could set a time for it to start playing a tape. Um, sure. I don't remember either. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it's possible. It definitely is possible now. Oh, another one. Another thing I want to get into. Uh, so we're at the police station. They need the tape recorder. They decide, well, get a tape recorder with a timer, and you're going to set it for now, and then the tape recorder starts playing, and they're able to sneak through. But... We have previously established that Ted has the worst watch in the world because it needs to be wound more than once in this 15 hour period. Because at the gas station, he wrote future self reminds past self to wind his watch. Past self winds the watch. And yet it is off when they come back and meet themselves in the future. And so I think in this scene, his watch would necessarily be the wrong time. And yet, this thing goes off flawlessly and is there when they need. Was it Ted's watch or was it Bill's? I don't know. I don't know if Bill had a watch. I don't know. You're just bringing up all this stuff. Maybe I'm thinking too much about a dumb film, which is kind of what this (laughs) podcast is about. I guess. Well, and then the, so another thing while they're sneaking through here, is they come around the corner where there's a fax machine and there's a note mm-hmm. there with a picture of their band logo. It says, Hey, good yeah. luck on your report, Bill and Ted love Bill and Ted. And they're like, Oh, that was nice of us. PS duck. And then they fall down as right as somebody walks by. All right. This one. And the next one is where I don't know how they timed this perfectly. Mm-hmm. Because there's no way that they could know that their past selves were going to find this note just in time, read it slowly enough so that when they got to the message duck and went down, it was just in time for a policeman to walk by and miss them by inches. Awesome. And the next one is really where I I didn't know how they would plan that. I don't know. I don't know how they do any of this. So (laughs) what they do is they get to where the holding cells are. They use Ted's dad's keys uh, to open all of the jail cells. And then Ted's dad comes in. uh, And he, Ted says to himself, I have to remember trash can. And then a trash can falls from the sky. So I don't know if future Ted is up there holding the trash can. I don't know if they bring some time mechanism that can drop a trash can in this very small room where the ceilings are not that high. I don't understand where this thing comes from. Yeah. At all. I I feel like what confused me every time that I had watched this was I feel like the ceiling wasn't high enough for that trash can to fit above someone's head in order to get dropped on it. Not at Um, all. But... You know, the other thing I don't understand here is that so the way this thing is set up is there are rows of um, holding cells on either side of an aisle. And at the end of the aisle is a wall. And on that wall is a window with bars over it. They are escaping through this window, which should not be openable, even if you have these keys. 
why would there be a window there in the first place, I guess, is a better question. That's a great question. But they are not hindered by this window in the slightest. And they are all able to escape out of it and then go into Missy's car, who sees that they're escaping through a window with bars on it and doesn't question it. Well, I I get the feeling she is not the smartest person in the world. Well, (laughs) maybe not. In the time that they are breaking the people out of prison, they left Napoleon in the car with Missy. And he was in the back seat when they left him. When they're coming Mm -hmm. back to the car, he's sitting in the front seat, stretching his arm over Missy's shoulder. (laughs) And when they all come back, he jumps over to the other side of the seat again. Yep. Oh, Napoleon. He's a real dog. Uh, Oh, another note I had here. When they find the keys, the place that they have hidden them is just behind a sign. But it's not a secure hiding spot. I don't see how... No one has found them in the course of days from when they left them to when they are finding them now. Especially at a police station because all the detectives and stuff. Yeah, you would think. (laughs) But anyway, let's get to what they've been leading up to this entire film, which is their history report. Now, these history reports are taking place in what I assume is the school auditorium, uh, even though... A very small portion of the, I assume, senior class is taking this course, and everyone else is not using the stage. They are using a podium to deliver a speech. I do not see why they could not do these speeches (laughs) in their classroom. The only people that are using the stage are Bill and Ted themselves, who don't even show up for roll call that morning. I have always wondered what they're doing in this auditorium because yeah like you said it's it's almost as if the entire school is there to watch these history presentations right and if you're just presenting to get a grade for one class it might as well just be in the classroom during class time i don't know why it's it must be on a weekend too because they take the entire day so uh, no, actually, they do not take the entire day. Uh, they are given a time frame early in the film. I think it's only from like two to four thirty. But I think no, it is. It's final report one thirty to three thirty is the time frame they are given for everyone. That's the implication. Uh, I, I, thought, I want to I say this is like, happening during was, school during school hours. I was thinking it was. Everybody was presenting throughout the entire day, and that was just the time that they had for, like, a few people. Maybe maybe that's why everyone is there. Maybe everyone in the school has been presenting since the morning, and that particular class had that time period. But this is where you see some terrible history presentations. (laughs) Correct. Before we get into those, every one of these history presentations... All of the students are presenting individually. I do not understand how Bill and Ted scored the opportunity to do both of their reports simultaneously. That's a good question. It shows favoritism from the teacher. Well, and they, they, like you said, they weren't there for roll call. They just kind of showed up at the last second to do their report and just kind of went on stage and did it so occasionally we cut back to this and it's the the teacher looking down his list of names and at the bottom he like taps his pencil on bill and ted's name and then later in the film we see the same thing and he has written next to each one of their names a giant f (laughs) i i feel like like you said favoritism because 
after all of this, like he still gives them the opportunity to pass after he knows right. that they failed the entire semester or. Absolutely. So I don't think they're passing with A's. I think they are maybe getting D's or C minuses uh, where they're barely passing. Also, I find it hard to believe that this is the only class that they were going to fail out of, given the amount of, let's say, math you have to take in high school. Correct. For some reason, this one class is the one that determines if they will graduate, though. Right. But let's get to the, I would say, second greatest scene in this film, their history report. Because what I remembered their history report being is certainly different than what it is. <laughs> uh, because I remember their history report as having these historical figures say their piece and Bill and Ted are basically just introducing these guys. Uh, so the idea being, in the professor's mind, Bill and Ted hired a bunch of actors who are now reading scripts that presumably Bill and Ted didn't write because they don't know anything. Uh, and then Bill and Ted are getting credit for these actors' performances. Which I, again, well, and we'll get to, I guess, what the yeah. actual report was, but... What is weird to me here is they traveled through time, picked up all these people, mm -hmm. but they didn't actually learn anything about them or their time periods, yet somehow right. they get here in time for the report and they are able to tell exactly what happened to this specific person at this time and what right. their life was like and present them to people as if they know everything so. about them. So occasionally we see them crack open their history, history books and read a few pages from them. I think that is supposed to imply that they were able to glean some things from these historical figures and the historical times. Because let's get into what the report actually is. It is, it is Bill and Ted introducing each historical figure. Uh, but the, the brief that they are given for this report is how historical figures throughout history would view San Dimas today. And because of their adventures, they know precisely how each one of these figures would participate in San Dimas culture because they have just been doing it for the past six hours. So they are not only able to give a historical perspective of who these people were, but the things that they are saying are based on modern society, which is exactly what they were asked to do. But they weren't there. They were off looking for Napoleon when those people were in the mall. Yes, but it gives the historical figures who are doing a large portion of the report enough context of what San Dimas is to talk about it. Uh, and for there's also a lot of interaction with Bill and Ted in that at points, uh, I think... Is it both Bill and Ted who are fighting um, Genghis Khan? Uh, Ted is getting analyzed from Sigmund Freud. Uh, they are getting a, a battle plan from Napoleon. I think somebody uh, has a sword fight with Joan of Arc. Yes. Uh, Socrates is um, speaking in pantomime and Ted is translating. Uh, and like really the only person who speaks alone is Lincoln at the very end. So um, 
this kind of calls back to the beginning uh, where when when Ted is talking to Freud, Freud gives mm-hmm. him this whole analysis of his life, which is pretty accurate based on what we know about Ted's family. Mm-hmm. So then he offers to let Bill lie down on the couch and Bill declines and says, oh, no, it's OK. I just have an Oedipal complex, uh, a minor Oedipal because complex. Missy, who is now his yeah. mom, <laughs> is only yeah. a couple years older than him, which is right. a nice callback to what we learned earlier in the movie. So Right. Uh, it, it's, I'm glad they didn't focus more on that relationship. Which is... I think they showed too much of it, more than I would like to see, and it was a bit awkward. I'm glad they did not dwell on it more than they did. Well, and the interesting thing about that is, by this point their parents are trying to find out where they are because Ted's dad mm-hmm. is all mad at him about breaking the people out of jail. But Bill's mom, Missy, has been driving them around all day, so now she came in to watch the report. Mm-hmm. And so she hears this and kind of looks over at the teacher and gives him a weird look because she heard this comment. Uh, so one thing that must have happened but is not given you know, clear exposition in the film is that They are using the stage with all these different lighting cues and music cues. And, you know, I think at one point there's some there's some smoke that comes Mm -hmm. out. And so, like, it's like a rock show, which they must have gone into the future to come back here to plan all of that. So, I mean, that's what I I was wondering, how all of that got set up during their chasing people around town. Right. So I think either they've gone into the, they've progressed in the future, come back again to do it, or Rufus is once again helping them out. If Rufus knows how to run an entire rock show doing lights and sound at the same time. Rufus can jam. We see that (laughs) later on in the film. Uh, So. (laughs) Oh, I found, I found the note you said earlier. It simply says, how trash can question mark. I said that. You you pointed out how weird the trash can was. Oh, fell. yes, yes, yes. All right, so they deliver the best history report probably this school has ever seen, uh, and lo and behold, they have passed the class. <gasps> Who would have guessed? Uh, they are sitting in their garage again. It's a nice bookend to the film because this is where we fir- first met these characters where they couldn't play music and were more into the lifestyle of rockers than actually performing. Uh, And they decide that they're finally going to put in the effort to get good at their instruments. Uh, And Rufus shows up with a nice surprise because he has stolen these two women that they were interested (laughs) in. Uh, And now they are here, and presumably they are going to live in the present in a world they know nothing about, but luckily he has given them credit cards, which puts them immediately in debt. But they're princesses. They have all the money they need. They had all the money (laughs) they needed. Well, hey, but you know what? If they had it in a bank, just think of all the interest that would have built up in those. I don't think 15th century England... (laughs) had a bank that is sticking around. Uh, And I don't think that they could prove that they were even the princesses at the time. They they could have put it, like, in Gringotts or something. Excuse me? You know. (laughs) They could have put it in some magical (laughs) Harry Potter bank. Yes, exactly. You know, that historical bank in that documentary, Harry Potter. Yep, that's the one. 
Great, great. Uh, so the film ends with uh, Rufus getting uh, his album autographed, telling Bill and Ted how uh, their music apparently aligned the planets and got a, uh, all the conflict taken care of. Uh, it's a harken back to his opening lines where he describes the greatness of the city of San Dimas based on the bowling scores being high, the golf scores being low, and the greatest number of water slides per capita. But we see that Rufus gets to jam with his heroes, and he is a rock god, uh, even though Bill, Ted, and the two princesses can't play a single note. Well, and this, uh, if their whole society is based on the music of Bill and Ted... I would right. think that if you're idolizing these people for your whole life, that everyone in that society would have learned how to play, I suppose. Probably, yeah. Though, in the beginning of the film, they talk about um, getting a famous musician, who I can't remember the name Eddie of, Van to Halen. come join... Eddie Van <laughs> Halen, to come join their band. Uh, I don't see why they don't invite Rufus to join the band. It would make sense. I guess yeah, Rufus one, is from the future, though, so he has a life yeah, somewhere, maybe? That's true. That's true. So I have one final note here. Do you have any more notes? I have had no notes at all, so... <laughs> Great. You are speaking from the heart. The heart of your brain. Uh, so my final note here has to do with Ted's dad, because in the beginning of the film, he sets up that if he fails history, he's being shipped off to military school. Later in the film... Ted comes back. He has not yet failed history because the report has not been given. And yet Ted's dad wants to ship him off to military school that day, not giving him a chance to do the history report that would prevent him from going to military school. I think Ted's dad somehow got progressed in time. Somehow he either got absconded with, maybe when they were getting the keys, something happened to progress his personal timeline in earlier than the timeline of the film. You have too many theories about this time travel I business. I perhaps <laughs> think too much about movies. Um, I, we, we, I just, well, and I think that it was established that Ted's dad knows the guy who runs the, the military school. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if he maybe has had prior military experience or maybe he went to that academy himself. I think he went to the academy. And that's why he, he is so gung-ho about you have to go there. It will give you your structure to your life and make you a real person instead of this slacker that you are. Yes. It'll, turn, it'll basically do a Mulan montage and teach you how to be a man. I'll leave that one river. be. I don't think it's my best fan theory it's just something i noticed and i wanted to throw it out there because this film has a lot of things happen that go unexplained yeah anywho a lot of things if, if there are no more notes nope. let's go on to games <laughs> all 
Our first game is the pitch game, where we take one, two, three movies or more, smash them all together, and the amalgamation becomes this movie. Are you questioning why I would say we take one? <laughs> it's perhaps because I wasn't prepared, and I'm making this up as I go, even though it's the same thing every time. You think I would have it written down, but no, I come up with it every time. I, I just figured that, that that meant that there was a hint at what your answers were going to be. Nope, incorrect. It was a it was a mistake that won't be a blooper because I'd like this explanation to stay in. Anyway, so I'm going to start us off uh, telling you two movies that combine make this movie. So, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure is, uh, since it, um, let me find my things here. All right, so one of these movies is taken from Name Alone, the other contains a character desperate to start a rock band who is much less intelligent than the people around him, featuring students in a rock band who start not knowing anything about rock instruments. Mm -hmm. So this is The Time Machine meets School of Rock. Good. What do you got, Mark? <clears throat> All right. One of these will be very obvious, maybe. Yep, <clears throat> I probably have it repeated. I, I bet you will. All right, so uh, because it's a movie focused on rock and heavy metal and the characters act dumber than they really are, and it's a movie about returning to the past to influence the present and or future, it is mm. This Is Spinal Tap meets Back to the Future <laughs> Part 2. Wow, I have neither one of those, wow. actually. Though I, I am amazed because I am, I'm sure we're going to use some of my next ones. I so, hope not, but we'll see. Since this, since this film features adventures meeting historical figures, visiting the past and the future, and navigating the time-space continuum in a phone booth, and a coming-of-age story featuring a couple of wastoids and awkward sexual situations. This is Doctor Who meets Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Doctor Who is not a movie. Well, I guess there, I've used, I guess there are I've some used Radio movies. Shack before. <sighs> I purposely avoid using TV shows because it's supposed well, to be Well, then you're, you might be doing it wrong. <laughs> Who's to say we're making everything up? I... <clears throat> okay, so I guess we won't have overlap. Now. Also, also, Mark, Doctor Who has had movies. I yeah, I just said that, but okay. <laughs> All right, I sorry, I didn't hear you. No, I didn't. You ahead. were too busy yelling at me, so it's <laughs> that's true. All right, um, because this is a movie about teens seeking to increase their school status with the aid of a person from another era of history, and. Two slacker friends who have a higher than average love for classic rock and still live with their parents, trying to get famous by taping performances in their homes. I know where the second one is. Go ahead. And because oh, I'm, I'm doing three. Oh, and three. because the protagonist is mostly shunned by society and looked down on due to societal status, but ends up marrying royalty. Ooh. We have Encino Man meets Wayne's World meets Aladdin. What? <laughs> what? I had to throw that I last one in there. I don't know. I don't know how Aladdin fits in. I I'm just not, told I'm you not... how it fits. Right, but uh, I don't see anyway. You weren't listening. All right. It's okay. <laughs> I was. I was listening. It's just not. 
You were listening you know but not paying you know attention. What? You know what? It's great. <laughs> you did a great job. Anyway. Because you, you were bringing a different perspective than I would to this. Anyway, my final one. Since it's a movie featuring two dullards who manage to get by in life by never truly understanding what's going on or the consequences of their actions, and two adventurers traveling through time, visiting all the famous time periods and learning something along the way, it is Dumb and Dumber meets Mr. Peabody and Sherman. Wow. I would not have thought of that one. I, I I considered Dumb and Dumber, but I went with Wayne's World instead. All right. Uh, let's go on to our second game, which is Alternate Tagline, a phrase you would see on the movie poster for the film that would describe the theme of this movie, though hopefully for us missing the point. Now, before we get into ours, I do want to pull up the actual taglines for this film because I thought one of them was actually good. Where <laughs> well, One of them was good. <laughs> well, like normally you see the taglines for films that are kind of just afterthoughts or yeah. quotes from the film, and they don't really bring much to the table. Kind of uh, whereas like I mine. thought, uh, so one of these taglines, I have five here. I'm not going to read all five. Uh, one of them is a quote from the movie. It is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Party on, dudes. But the one I really liked was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. History is about to be rewritten by two guys who can't spell. So mm-hmm. I told you that I have three of these. Correct. I had not actually looked at the oh, existing no. ones, and one Was of them is exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, you know what? Just do it anyway. We're all making it up as we go. <laughs> all right. So I've got <clears throat> Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, a brief history report of time. Yep. <laughs> uh, is it brief? Yeah, a brief history of time. Kind, kind of is what it is. Okay. What? Oh, fine. It's the movie brief. I was quoting a title of a book by Stephen Hawking. Oh well, I would not know that. So, <laughs> okay. Good job on you. Okay. Thanks. Um. So you already know what one of mine is. So I'll just skip Correct. that and go to the next one. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure: The Most Bodacious Air Guitar Solos You've Ever Seen. <laughs> they are pretty great. Uh. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Just a pair of dudes creating paradoxes. Ugh. <laughs> thank you. Uh, oh, thank you. I mean, Sarah's not here, so somebody has to groan at it. Let, let me do that. There we go. Uh, wait, do you just go find a clip from one of the old shows and play it in there? <laughs> uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Switch off your brain and enjoy the ride. Oh, that's, yeah, no, that's a great way to watch this film. (laughs) All right, uh, and my final one, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. They have not studied history and are now doomed to travel it. Mm -hmm. All righty, let's go on to our final game, which is the TV Guide game. A description of the plot of the film you would find in a Netflix or TV Guide description, though possibly missing the point. So, I am again going to start us off here, and here we go. So, 
two dullards ruin the time-space continuum because a complete stranger shows up and tells them to. Later, the same man takes two women away from the only life they've ever known, gets them massively in debt, and leaves them with two boys they've barely met. I mean, yeah. I'm not I sure mean, how that misses the point. Well, <laughs> I guess because we're supposed to see them as heroes, where possibly they, they the girls aren't. are not treated as well as the boys in the film, but it works out because we there's a sequel to this movie. Hmm. If if you call that working out. <laughs> For the girls, it does. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, okay. When a life of luxury in San Dimas is threatened by events hundreds of years in the past, one man is tasked with keeping Ted Logan from joining the military, even if it means promoting his terrible band. <laughs> All right. I've got a super fan goes to extreme lengths to get an autograph and jam with his rock idols. Mm-hmm. That sounds like exactly what we said during the show. Yeah, pretty much. All, All right. right. Uh, yep. Teenage slackers secure a future as rock stars by kidnapping historical figures. Uh, so, a historical film about Napoleon's greatest accomplishments, including winning a sports match, defeating an eating challenge, and finally conquering Waterloo. Yep. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, so let's go on to reviews. Our first review scale is our infamous potato scale, where we will tell you what you will feel when watching this movie in terms of our relationship to potatoes. So, Mark, why don't you start us off? What is Bill and Ted's excellent adventure in terms of potatoes? Um... Well, thanks for letting me start, since I completely did not think of this at all. I uh, can go first, if you want me to go first. Well, no, it's fine. I all right. So, like I said earlier, um, I, the reason I picked this movie is because we had done a couple good ones in a row, and I kind of wanted to do a bad one, so that we had some movie to make fun of, like we did with Kung Fu Kangaroos, that I never know the name of. Um, but I... I discovered through watching it again that I really do like this movie. It's kind of uh, in the time period, <laughs> and and it's kind of, you know, the dumb humor about a couple of slacker kids, but the movie itself actually holds up for me. I, I don't think I would put it at some of the levels that we have some of our best movies. So um, because of that, I think... Mm, I would I would have a sweet potato, not as expected, because I was expecting it to be worse than it was when I actually watched it. Um, but, yeah, I can't even give it the second place potatoes. Yeah. I think I'm going to say sweet potatoes and mm, McDonald's fries. Okay. Which we have as it's a good movie, but only once in a while. Mm. Yeah, so I'm kind of there with you. I, I definitely agree with the sweet potatoes. I was of the same ilk where I thought this was a movie that uh, was going to promote smoking marijuana in high school, which it isn't. <laughs> and I thought this was a movie where they kind of cheat on their final history report and don't actually learn anything, when that's not the case. They learned a lot about history and were able to present it. Uh, so I feel like... It was definitely a better movie than I thought it was going to be. So I agree with you. I'm going to do Sweet Potatoes as well. Um, so 
The other one I was considering was probably black potatoes in terms of their familial relationships. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not something that is given a lot of screen time, but the screen time it is given, especially with Bill's family, is very awkward, and I don't want to think about it. I think even in the podcast, we didn't want to think about it. Uh, and that's where the black potatoes comes in. I'm trying to find a potato um, that trying to... <laughs> we don't have a potato for the emotion that I felt, which was <laughs> don't think about it too much because your head will explode. <laughs> um, because, because you did overthink it? Yes. Uh, because the time travel rules in this are never really stated or given a reason as to why they exist, but they exist and they are there. Um, so the closest we have to that is probably potato casserole, but instead of layers for different for audiences of different ages, I'm going to give it layers of thought in the time travel mechanics. So it's a real wow. timey-wimey <laughs> potato casserole, which I get is a stretch. Well, and you mentioned the thing about they actually do learn something throughout there, which is kind of true, and I, I would not call it an educational film by any means, but they do throw out some historical facts there during their report at the end. And that is obviously not the point of the movie, but <laughs> it's something else to consider when, when watching it, it could possibly give you something about history that you didn't know before. Yeah. So let's go on to our other review scale, which is a more traditional scale rating the movie zero to 10, where zero is never watch the film 10 best movie ever made. Um, so, Mark, well, how did you feel about this movie? What would you give on a scale from 0 to 10? For the same reasons that, that I said during the potatoes, um, I... It was better than I expected, uh, that I thought than I thought it would be before I started watching it. But it's definitely not on the level of some of our favorites. I would give it a solid seven. If you haven't seen it, I think it's worth watching at least once, if that's your thing. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I have seen other things that make pop culture references to it. So it may be worth seeing it if you want to understand some of those other references. But if you never see it in your life, it may not be that bad either. So. <laughs> yeah, so where I was expecting this film not to hold up, it held up perfectly. So in a movie about time travel, the worry I had was with the effects. And yet, the effects aren't that bad. The worst effect in the film is by far... Uh, the time-space continuum. But I don't know what the time-space continuum actually looks like. And so limiting the the larger effects to this really ethereal plane, it didn't really bother me. Um, the other effect in it is when the, the, um, the phone booth takes off, where it gets sucked into the ground. And I thought that one was actually really good. Like... The lightning it shows when it disappears is kind of like the the flames on the DeLorean when it travels through time, which it, it works. It's just it's a superimposing on a picture and it's simple and it's a antiquated technology, but it it doesn't bother me. So that was great. I thought the the acting in this was not high brow by any means, but uh 
they're playing fun characters. I felt like these are actors who are really giving their all to this character who is incredibly dumb, but they're at least having fun with the role. Uh, so I don't love all of it, and I think I've talked about that in here, but I think I'll, I'm squarely in an eight. Uh, I think if you went back and watched this, yeah, you'd feel pretty good about it. Uh, it's one of the highlights of this time period, I would say. Mm -hmm. So, uh, with that in mind, this is normally where I turn it over to Sarah, <laughs> who would tell you where to find us should you choose to do so. So, I'm going to have to remember this by rote. I'm sure it's on the other episodes if you're really interested. Well, mostly but if they're already listening to it, they know one place yeah. to find us. <laughs> so you can find us on Facebook by searching Retrograding. Uh, you can find each other on Facebook by searching Retrograding Party Line. That's difference between pages and groups on Facebook that I haven't really understood ever. Um, and you can find us on iTunes or other podcatchers, which you already have done. I think that covers what Sarah does. Our music is done by Dominique Barnes. You can find her at Dominique A. Barnes on SoundCloud if you'd like to contact her or know more. So it's going to take us to our final segment, which was, guys, I learned something today. And I think I will quote the two greatest masters of our time. In the words of wisdom they imparted in the one time they visited our great and future society, simply be excellent to each other and party on, dudes! We'll see you next week. Bye. I don't remember them saying it that way. That was no, Abraham like, Lincoln. I know who it was, Mark. I just wanted to give it a little something something. Anyway, I'm stopping the recording now. Of course.